Chapter Thirty Five of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter Thirty Five The Musician. One evening, soon after the baby's arrival, as Mary sat with him in her lap, the sweet tones they had heard twice before came creeping into her ears so gently that she seemed to be aware of their presence only after they had been for some time coming and going. She laid the baby down, and, stealing from the room, listened on the landing. Certainly the sounds were born in the house, but whether they came from below or above she could not tell. Going first down the stair, and then up, she soon satisfied herself that they came from above, and thereupon ventured a little farther up the stair. She had already been to see the dressmaker, whom she had come to know through the making of Hesper's twilight robe of cloud, had found her far from well, and had done what she could for her. But she was in no want, and of more than ordinary independence. A Yorkshire woman, about forty years of age, delicate, but of great patience and courage. A plain, fair, freckled woman, with a belief in religion rather than in God. Very strict, therefore, in her observances, she thought a great deal more of the Sabbath than of man, a great deal more of the Bible than of the truth, and ten times more of her creed than of the will of God. And had she heard any one utter such words as I have just written, would have said he was an atheist. She was a worthy creature, notwithstanding, only very unpleasant if one happened to step on the toes of a pet ignorance. Mary soon discovered that there was no profit in talking with her on the subjects she loved most. Plainly she knew little about them, except at second hand, that is, through the forms of other minds than her own. Such people seem intended for this special furtherance of the saints and patience, being utterly unassailable by reason. They are especially trying to those who desire to stand on brotherly terms with all men, and so are the more sensitive to the rudeness that always goes with moral stupidity. Intellectual stupidity may coexist with the loveliness of an angel. It is one of the blessed hopes of the world to come that there will be none such in it. But why so many words? I say to myself, will one of such as I mean recognize his portrait in my sketch? Many such have I met in my young days, and in my old days I find they swarm still. I could wish that all such had to earn their own bread like Anne Byron. Had she been rich, she would have been unbearable. Women like her, when they are well-to-do, walk with a manly stride, make the tails of their dresses go like the screw of a steamer behind them, and are not, unfrequently, scotch. As Mary went up, the music ceased. But hoping Miss Byron would be able to enlighten her concerning its source, she continued her ascent and knocked at her door. A voice, rather wooden, yet not without character, invited her to enter. Anne sat near the window, for although it was quite dusk, 
a little use might yet be made of the lingering ghost of the daylight. Almost all Mary could see of her was the reflection from the round eyes of a pair of horn spectacles. "'How do you do, Miss Byram?' she said. "'Not at all well,' answered Anne, almost in a tone of offence. "'Is there nothing I can do for you?' asked Mary. "'We are to owe no man anything but love,' the Apostle tells us. "'You must owe a good deal of that, then,' said Mary, one part vexed and two parts amused, for you don't seem to pay much of it. She was just beginning to be sorry for what she had said, when she was startled by a sound, very like a little laugh, which seemed to come from behind her. She turned quickly, but before she could see anything through the darkness, the softest of violin tones thrilled the air close beside her, and then she saw, seated on the corner of Anne's bed, the figure of a man. Young or old, she could not tell. How could he have kept so still? His bow was wandering slowly about over the strings of his violin. But presently, having overcome, as it seemed, with the help of his instrument, his inclination to laugh, he ceased, and all was still. "'I came,' said Mary, turning again to Anne, "'hoping you might be able to tell me where the sweet sounds came from which we heard now two or three times. But I had no idea there was any one in the room besides yourself. They come at intervals a great deal too long,' she added, turning toward the figure in the darkness. "'I'm afraid my ear is out sometimes,' said the man, mistaking her remark. I think it comes of the anvil. The voice was manly, though gentle, and gave an impression of utter directness and simplicity. It was Mary's turn, however, not to understand, and she made no answer. I am very sorry, the musician went on, if I annoyed you, miss. Mary was hastening to assure him that the fact was quite the other way, when Anne prevented her. I told you so, she said. You make an idol of your foolish plaything, but other people take it only for the nuisance it is. Indeed, you never were more mistaken, said Mary. Both Mrs. Helmer and myself are charmed with the little that reaches us. It is indeed seldom one hears tones of such purity. The player responded with a sigh of pleasure. Now there you are, miss cried Anne, a-flattering his folly till not a word I say will be of the smallest use. If your words are not wise, said Mary, with suppressed indignation, the less he heeds them the better. It ain't wise, to my judgment, miss, to make a man think himself something when he is nothing. It is quite enough a man should deceive his own self, without another to come along and help him. To speak the truth is not to deceive replied Mary. I have some knowledge of music, and I say only what is true. What good can it be spending his time scraping horsehair a thort catgut? They must fancy some good in it up in heaven, said Mary, or they wouldn't have so much of it there. There ain't no fiddles in heaven, said Anne with indignation. They've nothing but harps and trumpets. Mary turned to the man, who had not said a word, would you mind coming down with me, she said, and playing a little, very softly, 
to my friend. She has a little baby and is not strong. It would do her good. She'd better read her Bible, said Anne, who, finding she could no longer see, was lighting a candle. She does read her Bible, returned Mary, and a little music would, perhaps, help her to read it to better purpose. There, Anne, cried the player. The woman replied with a scornful grunt. Two fools don't make a wise man for all the franchise, she said. But Mary had once more turned towards the musician, and in the light of the candle was met by a pair of black eyes, keen yet soft, looking out from tinder an overhanging ridge of forehead. The rest of the face was in shadow, but she could see by the whiteness, through a beard that clouded all the lower part of it, that he was smiling to himself. Mary had said what pleased him, and his eyes sought her face, and seemed to rest on it with a kind of trust, and a look as if he was ready to do whatever she might ask of him. "'You will come?' said Mary. "'Yes, miss, with all my heart,' he replied, and flashed a full smile that rested upon Anne, and seemed to say he knew her not so hard as she looked. Rising, he tucked his violin under his arm, and showed himself ready to follow." "'Good night, Miss Byram,' said Mary. "'Good night, Miss,' returned Anne grimly. "'I'm sorry for you both, Miss. But until the spirit is poured out from on high, it's nothing but a stumbling in the dark.' This last utterance was a reflection rather than a remark. Mary made no reply. She did not care to have the last word, nor did she fancy her cause lost when she had not at hand the answer that befitted folly. She ran down the stair, and at the bottom stood waiting her new acquaintance, who descended more slowly, careful not to make a noise. She could now see, by the gaslight that burned on the landing, a little more of what the man was. He was powerfully built, rather over middle height, and about the age of thirty. His complexion was dark, and the hand that held the bow looked grimy. He bore himself well, but a little stiffly with a care over his violin like that of a man carrying a baby. He was decidedly handsome, in a rugged way, mouth and chin but hinted through a thick beard of darkest brown. "'Come this way,' said Mary, leading him into Letty's parlour. "'I will tell my friend you are come. Her room, you see, opens off this, and she will hear you delightfully. Pray, take a seat.' "'Thank you, miss,' said the man. But remained standing. I have caught the bird, Letty, said Mary, loud enough for him to hear her, and he has come to sing a little to you, if you feel strong enough for it. It will do me good, said Letty. How kind of him! The man, having heard, was already tuning his violin when Mary came from the bedroom and sat down on the sofa. The instant he had got it to his mind, he turned and going to the farthest corner of the room closed his eyes tight and began to play but how shall i describe that playing how convey an idea of it however remote i fear it is nothing less than presumption in me so great is my ignorance to attempt the thing but would it be right for dread of bringing shame upon me through failure to leave my readers without any notion of it at all. On the other hand, I shall at least have the merit of daring to fail, 
a merit of which I could well be ambitious. If, then, my reader will imagine some music-loving sylph attempting to guide the wind among the strings of an aeolian harp, every now and then for a moment succeeding, and then again for a while the wind having its own way, he will gain, I think, something like a dream-notion of the man's playing. Mary tried hard to get hold of some clue to the combinations and sequences, but the motive of them she could not find. Whatever their source there was, either in the composition itself or in his mode of playing, not a little of the inartistic, that is, the lawless. Yet every now and then would come a passage of exquisite melody, owing much, however, no doubt, to the marvellous delicacy of the player's tones and the utterly tender expression with which he produced them. But ever as she thought to get some insight into the movement of the man's mind, still would she be swept away on the storm of some change, seeming of mood incongruous. At length came a little pause. He wiped his forehead with a blue cotton handkerchief, and seemed ready to begin again. Mary interrupted him with the question, "'Will you please tell me whose music you have been playing?' He opened his eyes, which had remained closed even while he stood motionless, and with a smile sweeter than any she had ever seen on such a strong face, answered, "'It's nobody's, miss. Do you mean you have been extemporizing all this time? I don't know exactly what that means. You must have learned it from notes.' "'I couldn't read them if I had any to read,' he answered. "'Then what an ear and what a memory you must have! How often have you heard it?' "'Just as often as I've played it, and no oftener. Not being able to read, and seldom hearing any music I care for, I'm forced to be content with what runs out at my fingers when I shut my eyes. It all comes of shutting my eyes. I couldn't play a thing but for shutting my eyes.' It's a wonderful deal that comes of shutting your eyes. Did you never try it, miss? Mary was so astonished by both what he said and the simplicity with which he said it, having clearly no notion that he was uttering anything strange, that she was silent, and the man, after a moment's returning, began again to play. Then did Mary gather all her listening powers and brace her attention to the tightest, but at first with no better success. And, indeed, that was not the way to understand. It seems to me, at least in my great ignorance, that one cannot understand music unless he is humble toward it, and consents, if need be, not to understand. When one is quiescent, submissive, opens the ears of the mind, and demands of them nothing more than the hearing, when the rising waters of question retire to their bed, and individuality is still, then the dews and rains of music, finding the way clear for them, soak and sink through the sands of the mind, down, far down, below the thinking place, down to the region of music, which is the hidden workshop of the soul, the place where lies ready the divine material for man to go making withal. Weary at last with vain effort, she ceased to endeavor, and in a little while was herself being molded by the music unconsciously received to the further understanding of it. It wrought in her mind pictures, not thoughts. 
it is possible however my later knowledge may affect my description of what mary then saw with her mind's eye first there was a crowd in slow then rapid movement arose cries and entreaties came hurried motions disruption and running feet a pause followed then woke a lively melody changing to the prayer of some soul too grateful to find words next came a bar or two of what seemed calm lovely speech then a few slowly delivered chords and all was still she came to herself and then first knew that like sleep the music had seized her unawares and she had been understanding or at least enjoying without knowing it the man was approaching her from his dark corner his face was shining but plainly he did not intend more music for his violin was already under his arm he made her a little awkward bow not much more than a nod and turned to the door he had it half open and not yet could mary speak for letty she was fast asleep from the top of the stair came the voice of anne screaming here's your hat joe i knew you'd be going when you played that you'd have forgotten it i know mary heard the hat come tumbling down the stair thank you anne returned joe yes i'm going the ladies don't care much for my music nobody does but myself but then it's good for me the last two sentences were spoken in soliloquy but mary heard them for he stood with the handle of the door in his hand he closed it picked up his hat and went softly down the stair the spell was broken and mary darted to the door but just as she opened it the outer door closed behind the strange musician and she had not even learned his name end of chapter 35 the musician recording by rhonda fetterman